And that is found in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6. And we're reading tonight from verse 11 and uh, verse 11 to 13. Jesus said, Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We look forward to Gail sharing with us tonight. Why don't we just pause and pray for James at the moment as well. God, we just... Good evening. I wonder if you feel passionately spiritual tonight. How, what's your passion meter like? Can you hear me? Good. What's your passion meter like? Is it up around 80 to 100 or is it back around, I don't know, 10, 20, 30%, maybe it's 5%. I want you to think about how passionately you feel at the moment spiritually about our God and about spiritual things. I have to be honest with you, I had a really tough year last year. I had some really emotional family trauma that I went through for the entire year. And by the end of last year, I was exhausted, physically, spiritually, emotionally, I was spent. And I needed a recharge. And I, I came to a point where I realised that often in my life, I rely on my own self, my own gifts, my own knowledge, my own experience, my own personality to actually undertake what I have to undertake here. I certainly rely on God, but last year, the intensity of emotional trauma took me to another level. Sometimes crises, sometimes change will do that in your life. And you know what? There's only one place to go, and that is to our Heavenly Father for a recharge. Sometimes we get so busy, don't we, with life that we just move in our own strength and we actually know God is there, but how much do we really tap into the source of power that is available to us all day, every day, to be able to live life to the full, to be able to thrive, to be passionate about our Father God. If you're anything like me, 
You do it sometimes, but you don't always do it. Or you'll go for a period of time that you're just so tapping into that power source. It's fantastic. And then there comes the dry, dry times. Has anyone else had experiences like that or is it just me? Maybe put your hand up if you have. There's some that haven't. You are very fortunate. Actually, it's very sad because the one thing it will make you do is actually go to your Father God on your hands and knees and say, I thought I could do this in my own strength, this life that you've given me, Lord, but guess what? I can't. I really can't. I can't do this in my own strength. And we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer, and this is the third week. And for me, I wasn't here last week, so I missed Andrews. But when I look at it, it's kind of just easy. It's divided into two parts. The first part is about God's power, the power source. And the second part is what we're going to look at tonight, at tonight. And it's actually when we tap into that power source, what he provides for us. I can remember a couple of years ago, a friend wanted me to drive his four-wheel drive from Melbourne up to Wodonga. And I said, yes, I do this. I can't even remember. I was thinking about this today and I couldn't even remember where Warren, my husband, was. But anyway, it was at night and I got in the car and I, I just drove this car till we got to Wangaratta. And then at Wang, it just started to lose power. And it just stopped on the side of the freeway and it was dark. And I just thought, what am I going to do now? And I looked at the, the, you know, gauge and it was on empty. And I rang around. I, I, I must have rung Warren because I always do when I'm in a fix, but he wasn't answering. And so I rang around a few people and they said, oh, it's probably on gas. And I remembered vaguely that the owner of the car said it was on gas and it's probably got a petrol sub-tank. So look around for this switch and find this switch and switch it onto petrol and then you'll be able to make it home. So I looked around and sure enough, this little lever went up. It was magic, Owen. And I ended up being able to get to Wodonga. But you know, I think that's a bit like us with God. We just get in the car. We just do what we have to do in life. We don't realise the enormous power that is at our availability. We just take it for granted until something happens and we tune in to the power source. And maybe we come to God in a different way. But when that happens, I can tell you there is nothing more marvellous. Our Father the awesome 
amazing, mighty God that created the universe, who is the Alpha and the Omega, who said to Moses in Exodus, uh, who shall, and when Moses said, who shall I say uh, sent me? And he said, tell them, I am sent you, that there is no other God like him. This awesome, powerful, majestic God, amazingly, wants us to call him Father, wants us to tap into his incredible power for our lives. And so we're looking at this God who wants to provide for us. And the first thing he wants to provide after we've acknowledged his power after we come before him and say, what an awesome, mighty, hallowed God you are. The first thing he wants to provide for us is our basic needs. Many years ago, when I was studying, some of you would have heard about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And he says that basically we're need-orientated. Isn't that true as people? We just are so need. If we have something that we need in our lives, we will go and seek it out. And Maslow said that this little um, triangle you can see here, or pyramid, that the bottom need is actually things like food. It's our physiological needs. It's our water. It's our sleep. It's the air we breathe. And in a funny way, God knows that we need these basic things before we can perhaps even think about other more spiritual things. And so here God is saying in the Lord's Prayer, after we've recognised who he is, after we've recognised his power, we're just going to the basics and we're saying, give us this day our daily bread. You know... This particular part of the Lord's Prayer astounds me because I just think of this incredible, awesome, amazing, powerful God that wants us to tap in to his power and yet he also wants us to have this intimate relationship as a child to a father and he is so concerned about the minute detail of our everyday lives. You know... What this says to me is that the whole of my life is sacred. The whole of my life is spiritual. Our God, our Father, is supremely approachable. Although he is this awesome, powerful God, he is also approachable with the minute detail of our lives. If you can talk to God about bread, then you can talk to God about all the mundane realities of your life. This could be as mundane as, you know, what food I'm going to eat, Lord, where I'm going to go to for my holiday, what course and I'm going to choose at uni, how am I going to face that person and what am I going to say? God is on a daily basis concerned with the absolute minute detail of all our lives. In fact, in Matthew 6, 25, he says, I tell you, 
Don't worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food, drink and clothes. Doesn't life consist of more than food and clothing? Look at the birds. They don't need to plant or harvest or put food in their barns because your heavenly Father feeds them and you are far more valuable than they are. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? So don't worry about food or drink or clothing. Your heavenly Father already knows all your needs and he will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. You know, I don't know about you, but I think a key to the Lord's prayer is tapping into his power, but also tapping in to the heart of God and the things of God. God wants us to first seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and then everything else will follow. Everything else. What does that mean? Well, I think it means spending time with him, our Father, in prayer. Not just sending up flash prayers all our life and expecting like some heavenly slot machine, God is just going to come down and answer each, each prayer when you need it. Kind of like a consumer would as they access, you know, the ATM. It's not what God is saying here. And it's not who God is. We just sang some beautiful songs about who God is. He's to be hallowed. He's to be honoured. We're to live our lives passionately for him first. And then all these things will follow. I know for me, I got to a point where I just said, I don't want to live life anymore in my own strength. I really don't, Lord. I can't do it. When I do it, I muck up. When I do it, it doesn't work. I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to be surrendered to you. I want the things that you want for my life. And I trust, I trust totally that you will provide. It means that we have a Father who is with us always. He will never leave us. He will always look after us. He will always be faithful from this day forward, for the rest of your life, every day, day in, day out, your Father is with you, concerned about even the smallest detail of your life. So don't shut him out. Don't shut out your concerns. Don't shut out the details. He's a detailed God. You only have to look at a leaf or a flower to know the intricacies of this detailed God. And this same God who wants to be our Father is interested in the detail of your life. You know, so many times I think we've got God wrong. So many of us think that he's so many different things 
a distant being in the sky, an immovable God who won't listen to us, a fearsome judging God who as soon as we step out of line, he's ready to whack us, or perhaps even a silent God who's just playing with us. Well, this very prayer that Jesus taught us to pray smashes these stereotypes. He's our Father, and he wants the very, very best for us. Psalm 103 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children... So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. He's a loving God, interested in the details of your life. And you know, he's not only interested in your basic needs, he's pretty cluey, this God. He knows what we are like. He knows that we're not only worry about whether we've got this great car or, you know, the food that we need or we've got money enough to go out and splash on new clothes. He also knows that we get all up in knots over our relationship with other people. In fact, it's probably the biggest knots that happen in our lives, aren't they? Relationships with people, messy relationships with messy human beings. And, you know, relationships impact us. Relationships affect us. And often when we're in relationships, one of the biggest things we do is to risk. We risk being loved at the expense of being hurt, don't we? How many of us tonight have ever been hurt in a relationship? Anyone? No one. One person. Two, three. Okay. You're all amazing. I wish I was as godly and as passionate and spiritually as you all. <laughs> well, I have. I have hurt people, as Sandy shared tonight. And I have been hurt by others quite deeply, particularly in my teenage years. I don't want to go into it. Suffice to say that God called me to a life of people work, probably as a result of some of the trauma and some of the deep hurt that I experienced in my teenage years and in growing up, not in my family of origin, but just through other relationships. I know what it's like to be hurt by others, but I also know what it's like that when I'm hurt, what I do to myself, 
I harbour that hurt. I nurse that hurt. I ruminate over and over in my mind what that person did or said to me. And it becomes this cancer in my spirit and in my soul. I get bound up in bitterness. And Jesus knew that this would happen. That's why he came. One of the biggest things he did for us when he died on the cross, and we sang about it tonight, was that he forgave us and he calls us to forgive others. And our Heavenly Father knows that unless our sins are forgiven, we will never be free. But unless we forgive others and forgive ourselves, we actually will never be truly free. We will never be able to rise above relationships in our lives because relationships are going to hurt. When I was young, I had some really tough occasions where I did end up being hurt and I kept that kind of hurt harbouring in my soul. I wasn't a Christian. I became a Christian at about the age of 27. So it was some 10 years later that I finally had relief for this burden that I was carrying. I wasn't living life to the full. I got some prayer healing. And that prayer healing, after I'd become a Christian, was quite simple and straightforward. It consisted of acknowledging the actions that were visited upon me which were sinful and forgiving that person. But it also consisted of me asking our Father God for the forgiveness that I needed because of the, um, the sin that I'd kept alive in my own heart. It's called um, reactive sin. And lastly, I had to learn to forgive myself. And that took a long time. I was able to forgive someone else through confession and repentance. I was able to ask for forgiveness for myself. And then it took me another three years to be able to forgive myself. And I suddenly woke up one day and thought, you know what, Gail? If you can't forgive yourself, what you're really saying is the cross of Calvary was not enough for me. And it was. And I had this sense of release. I had this sense of freedom. How strange forgiveness features as one of the most major provisions from our Father God, second only to the basic need we have, which is food. It's not strange to me. God knows that his children, his delight, will walk around in bondage of guilt and shame and bitterness and hurt from others and become victims rather than victors, wilt instead of thrive, all because of this most 
powerful dynamic in our life, which is unforgiveness. You know, I think as people, one of the greatest fears we have is the fear of judgment, that somehow as people will be found wanting, if people really knew who I am, how I am, how deficit I really am, they would know how hopeless I really am. And the biggest fear of all, the fear of rejection, well, that's almost assured. Do you know that unforgiveness causes more soul sickness and disease in individuals, families and communities than any other attitude of heart? And true forgiveness is the key to healing. Just want you to think about this. If God judged and condemned us rather than forgive and restore us, why send Jesus? If judgment was his preferred option, then all he would need to do is to let us go on living in our own sinful way, die in our sin and then meet our judgment to his heart's content. But that is not who our Father God is. Scripture, more than anything else, tells us of a loving, gracious, compassionate and merciful Father who is passionate about us and wants us to become passionate about him. You know, Jonathan said we went away on the weekend and God just revealed so strongly to us that this is a year that we want every single person in our church to become passionate about our Father God. Tonight, maybe God's speaking to you. Maybe you're harbouring some unforgiveness towards someone and it's a block to receiving the full freedom and the full forgiveness that you can have in Jesus Christ. Maybe someone has hurt you so badly you think, no, Gail, you don't understand. I hurt too badly to let go of this hurt. I'm living on my bitterness. I'm living on my anger. I'm living on the things that are happening in the members of my body and I can't let go. Well, I have to tell you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for you, but this is Jesus' prayer for us to his Father God, that we would have our sins forgiven and we would forgive others who have sinned against us. Why? because he wants us to live life in all its fullness and to thrive, to be passionate spiritually for him. You know, it's time for us who love God to put away the wrong images of the Father and call them what they are, lies of the enemy. And we need to replace those fearful pictures with the truth we see in Scripture Pictures of a loving, gracious, compassionate father who would stop at nothing, even the death of his only son, in order to offer us forgiveness. 
We have to understand that judgment is God's last resort when every offer of forgiveness has been rejected. Forgiveness is God's passion. Judgment is his eternal grief. He's our father. He wants to love us and he wants us to enjoy him and to have joy and live life in all its fullness. So is there someone here tonight that you need to forgive? Do you need forgiveness? Don't waste another night. Don't waste another breath. Be released. Be free. You know, the scriptures talk about in Matthew 18 just how torturous this unforgiveness can be. It's a parable of the unmerciful servant. And Peter came to Jesus and he said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus said, I tell you, not seven times, but 77. Therefore, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could repay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until... He should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each one of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. That is the secret. You can say you forgive, but do you forgive from your heart? And what I find so interesting is that people who cannot forgive are tortured beings. I've had people who come to me with very, very bad things that have happened to them. Sexual abuse as children, rejection, neglect, near-death experiences, trauma, abandonment, hurt from relationships. The sad thing is that so many people don't realise that, although many of us, probably most of us, can recall an event or a time when someone has hurt or wounded us, even if it's no fault of our own, we continue to sin by harbouring unresolved inner hurt. Forgiveness frees us 
from that. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then approach the throne of grace. And we sing about grace tonight with confidence so that we may receive mercy and help in our time of need. You know, I have to tell you guys that we have to learn to become passionate people for God, our Father God, if we really want the life that he intends for us. He wants to provide for us. That's very clear in this prayer. But he wants us to become naturally supernatural people. Does that make sense? We are to be naturally supernatural people. You see, God has infinitely more for us than we could ever dare dream or hope for as long as we come to the Father on our knees and say, not my will, but yours. He will take care of the rest. He will provide the rest for us. And as supernatural people, we have to understand one last thing, one last thing, that we have an enemy and it's not in the physical. It's not in the flesh. It's in the heavenlies. Ephesians 6, 11 to 12 says, put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 1 Peter 5, 8 to 9 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith. We have an enemy not just ourselves, not just through other relationships, but in a spiritual sense, we have a real entity. His name is Satan. And you know, there are two extremes about Satan. One, that he's just a myth, and the other, that he is all-powerful. And both of those extremes are wrong. It's somewhere in between. Satan is a created being. He is not in any way equal to God. He is opposite to God. He is limited in location, time and power. But in 1 John 5.19, it says the whole world is under the control of the evil one. That's a pretty powerful statement. And I had to get my head around that. And where I've come to is understanding that Satan has power in this world. We see that, don't we? Don't we see death and destruction and sin and dreadful things happening every day on the radio? But he doesn't have ultimate authority. The one who has ultimate authority is our Father God. He apportioned his authority to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ 
when he died and just before he died, he told us that he would not leave us that in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Our Heavenly Father knows that in this life, as Christians, we will be tempted by the enemy. He's real. The enemy often works in our mind. Our minds can sometimes get so caught up in the world, in wrong thinking, in anxieties, in doubt. It's the enemy. And our Father God is saying, Lead us not into this temptation. Stand firm. Resist. Stand firm in your faith in 1 Peter 5. And deliver us from the evil one through your authority. In John 16, 33, it says... Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Sorry to say, if you don't already know that, I'm telling you, young ones, in this world, Jesus says, you're going to have trouble. It happens to all of us. And there's nothing more than a father or a mother would want to do than protect their children from trouble. I'm a mum. I know what it is to have a child that is in anguish and pain and I want to protect her. Jesus says you'll have trouble in this world he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. I've overcome. I want to go back to my first question. How passionate spiritually are you? What did you think when I first asked that question? I reckon some of you thought, yeah, five, ten percent, just doing what I'm doing, I have to say the enemy's taken hold. The enemy has taken hold and we will not let the enemy win. We cannot let the enemy win. Our Father God does not want the enemy to win. Jesus must win in our lives if we are Christians. He must win. We must come to the throne of grace. We must be alert and aware and resist the enemy. We must ask for forgiveness. Be alert to what we're harbouring in our own soul so there's no blockages to the incredible abundance and provision that our Father God wants to give us. He will provide for us. We have to make a choice. We cannot afford 
to just keep blindly living our lives because that's too dangerous. It's far too dangerous. I'm winding up. Tonight, there may be some of you here tonight that have just felt like the passion meters on about five. I really hope some of you can say, look, it's at 90, 95, Gail. Some of you might be around five. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? I made a decision that I wasn't going to live my life at a five or a 10 or a 50. I want to live my life at 100 or 120. I want to be scary. <laughs> I want to live my life passionately, handed over daily to my Father God. Because I can't, I've learnt, I can't do this thing, this gig, this thing called life in my own strength. But I, just, I just can't. And I'm telling you, you won't be able to either. You just won't. So my prayer is, particularly for you young people tonight, become passionate about our Father God and what Jesus has done for you. You've got a choice. You can make that choice right now, tonight. There'll be prayer after the service. You might want to come down and pray and just say, I want to ask forgiveness for the life I've been living. I want to just make a recommitment tonight to live passionately, spiritually alive through our Father God. I want to have a life that really thrives. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Father God, thank you so much for all that you have given to us. You've given us so much. We don't deserve it. But you want to give it to us. That is the incredible thing. And it's there. It's available. We've just limited you. We've just let the enemy have his way. And we're sorry. We're so, so sorry. Tonight we pray. We want to recommit our lives to living passionately, spiritually, to seeing that the things that you love, your kingdom, your ways, your will, is by far and away the passion we want to have first. And then we can just forget about everything else. Help us to be alert to our own soul health. Help us to be alert to the enemy. And help us to move on, to thrive in this place, in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.